Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning again, everybody. Wasn't it good to have Breakaway in the house today? Come on, let them know you love them. Come on. tell you, if, I, if you can't be excited to preach after that, you probably don't need to be preaching. That's all I'm saying. That was great. That was great. Well, we've had an interesting weekend, haven't we? A storm coming through. Anybody, anybody like storms? I know. There's, there's a few. We'll pray for you later. We're going to have an altar call. Um, you know, it's, I have these little things that remind me that, that we actually live back in the Midwest. This was not the same when we lived either in Georgia or Florida. When the storm was coming through, and of course, it was a bummer. We had to cancel the ladies' event. Hopefully, we're going to reschedule that. But we had to cancel the event, and I know that was a big bummer. But as we were at the house, just like most of you are probably at the house, we're, we're actually looking out the window at the time before the, you know, the, the alert came through on our phone. And just like looking out there and just have this reminder that we're in the Midwest because my neighbor's out there like this, and the storm's coming through. He's out in the cul-de-sac just checking it out. He's like, I don't know. It might be a twister. We might be gone. I'm going to watch. I don't know. I don't know what that says about folks in the Midwest. I'm from here. I'm, I'm of you. You know, we're all the same in that maybe. I don't know. Or maybe he's just got something. I'm not really sure. But, hey, it, is, uh, it was exciting in a way that I really don't want to be excited. But, hey, I'm glad you're here, and I know and I believe that God has something for you. And I know that I say that with regularity, and I mean it every single time that I say it because there's something profound that happens when the people of God or people who are even interested in God, they come into the house of God and sit under the teaching of the word of God. And I'm not saying that because I'm the one who's teaching. It would be the same if you were teaching. As a matter of fact, maybe you'll be called upon to teach in the next couple of years. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, I've got some people in mind, so you ought to be nervous if that's you. <laughs> but if you're brand new to Calvary, um, I want you to know that we're actually in the middle of a series, we'll be finishing it up on Easter Sunday, called Encounters with Jesus. And I don't know if you believe this or not, but I think that there's something here in this quote that you're going to see on the screen, something that I think identifies with where we are culturally, but I don't want you to think of this in just some negative sense. I actually view what's going on in the world in a very optimistic way because I know who wins, amen? I know that this is, this is not the end, this is just simply part of the journey, and that the end, for me, uh, for that matter, is in heaven with God. So, uh, in a speech given to the Salvation Army in, in 1951, former general of the army, by the name, his name was Douglas MacArthur, he said this, it's lengthy, but it's worthwhile. He said, history fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. I could preach that for a while. But notice what he says next. There has, either, there has been either a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to ultimate national disaster. I believe the former is what's happening and not the latter. I believe that the people of God are waking up to the Spirit of God, and I think that God is doing something in our day. I think that the people of God are actually looking at what's going on around our world and no longer do they have their head in the sand and just pretending that we live in the, 19, in the time of 1950s, ironically, in the time of 1951 is when this was 
actually said to the, national, to the crowd of the, of the Salvation Army. But I believe that God is doing something in our midst because Christians are waking up. I do. And I think that because of what's going on in our world, Christians cannot ignore the world any longer. The, 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 the world now is at our door, and we cannot ignore it. And I believe the people of God are stepping up, and they're believing more deeply than they have before. But something also came to me in, uh, on one of my morning runs, and this was on February 8th. I always try and do some habit stacking. When I go out on a morning run, I always listen to sermons. That way I'm actually having two disciplines together at the same time. And that was certainly true. This morning I was listening to a preacher by the name of John Tyson, and he said this, and it just stuck to me. And I believe that he, that was put in me to give to you. And it's a quote you see on the screen. Revival comes to those who ask for it. Prayer unlocks the mystery and power of God. God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. And I believe that there is a group of people passionately pursuing Jesus Christ right now where there is a a hunger and a thirst and appetite for righteousness. And I believe that God is doing something in our day. There's talk of spiritual awakening. There's talk of revival that that wasn't just the the college in Kentucky, but also it's spread around to different places. And I think that we're still feeling the ripple effects of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our day and age. I also noticed this, when the Bible is thumped and doctrine is being argued, people lose interest and doze off. Is that you? That's me. You know, when you go on Facebook and, and somebody has some point they're trying to make and they think they're going to really make that point and they go to the, to the left side of their keyboard and they're like, I'm going to caps lock this joker. Bam. And then pop, 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 pop. And then you just put it on there and it's like, they're going to get the point across because I just caps locked this, this theological idea or this doctrine under just spouting off this belief. And usually what happens for me, I can tell you, whenever I see that, whether it's you doing that or somebody else does that, I just continue the scroll. That's not worth my time. Because I don't need to get caught up in trivial debates online. Instead, I actually want to have real conversations with people. And I want to wade into, even if we disagree about something, I want us to be able to wade into disagreements as as adults, as mature adults, to say, okay, I may believe differently, I may think differently than you, but I want to learn from you, and I hope that you want to learn from me. That's not found when we just thump our Bible loudly or we just spout off loudly in a public sense. Instead, it's personal. I'm so glad that Jesus' ministry was personal. And the passage of scripture that I invite you to open up in Matthew 21, verse 18 through 22, just continuing on in the theme about some of the events and teachings that Jesus had along the way of his last life, his last week on earth before his death on the cross. This, This encounter with Jesus is just right after the events of Palm Sunday. By the way, today is Palm Sunday. So if you will, on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the, into the city, and the, there's a parade, in essence, for him, and they're shouting, Hosanna, and the highest, and they're just praising his name, and it's, the crowds are just cheering loudly. And maybe you'd be surprised that, to find out that actually Jesus didn't spend the most of his time with large crowds. Instead, he spent most of his time with a few people. He was not afraid of the crowd, but also he wasn't the one who was just trying to boast his name at all time. Instead, he wanted to wade in and have a private conversation about matters. And that's 
the context of what we see here. It was after Palm Sunday, after Jesus had turned over the money changers' tables, of which we talked about last week. And now we get into a passage of Scripture in verse 18 that is confusing for a lot of people, and hopefully I get to clear up some of that confusion for you today. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what it was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Of course, at the latter part of that passage, Jesus is using figurative language, highlighting the power of prayer. He's he's using this figurative language about moving mountains, and he's using the figurative language, and he's saying, you have the ability, if you're in Christ, you have the ability to have this the same kind of power in your life, not to literally move mountains, but to have the power that is a supernatural power that was in Jesus' body, that he did his ministry through, that he's actually gifted us to be able to do. Now, in this passage, we'll back up right to the beginning, early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, city being Bethany, or as better pronounced in that day, Bethany, that city was a, not a really well-known city, it was kind of a poor city actually. The city itself was actually, the name Bethany or Bethany, it means the house of the poor. And there's something significant that we see in verse 21 and proceeding beyond it. Or excuse me, in verse 18 and beyond it. Early in the morning as he was on his way back to the city, to Bethany, the the, the house of the poor, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. This is important. It would be easy to gloss over this without understanding actually how important this is. Their growing season, a fig's growing season is, is different. For a fig tree to grow... It's growing season, if it, when it would first leave, so if you just picture, it's going to be very elementary, but a leaf, underneath that leaf would be a first little edible plant, a little edible bud, not the fig itself. It would be something called braba. Braba was, was an indication underneath the leaf that, that later on, when the braba, the season of the braba would go away, which was edible, and it was around the, around Bethany, most likely a lot of poor people. This was poor people food. They would eat the braba and they would pick it from underneath the leaf and they would eat that. But if there was braba on the stem, they knew that later in the season, figs were going to grow there. Notice in the passage that there's no braba. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and he found nothing on it except leaves. What Jesus saw was something that was easily glossed over, but it was, it's really interesting because he saw leaves, but he saw no braba. There should have been braba there. There should have been this edible fruit. It said that Jesus was hungry. He went there expecting that the fig tree would bear fruit. And when he saw that it wasn't bearing any braba, he knew that there was no growing season. So he actually, in this passage, he actually helped this fig tree out and he helped what would happen next. 
But I want to just explain to you, too, about the importance of the fig tree. As he's leaving Bethany, going to, most likely, to Jerusalem, but he's, he's around that. The, the fig tree was an illustration of the nation of Israel. And the audience, his, his, his small audience, would have known that. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there's a few passages of Scripture that I'll just read for you. The references are on your, your worship guide. They'll also be on your screen. Micah 7, 1, 2 says this, What misery is mine! I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, and none of the early figs that I crave, early figs known as Brava. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with the net. Another passage, Jeremiah 7.11 says this, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. He is using the fig tree as an illustration of the nation of Israel. I have one more. Hosea 9, 16 and 17 says this, Ephraim is blighted, their root is withered, they yield no fruit. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wonders among the nations, the consequences of their actions. Back to the fig tree. Back to the breba. Back to the, the fig tree with a leaf and no edible fruit. Back to a hungry Jesus who went there expecting fruit. We may think just at first glance that Jesus was just being impulsive. He just walks up and he's hungry, maybe hangry like we get hangry, and just like, ah, I expected some Breba down with you, fig tree. You just need to die. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is not some knee-jerk reaction. Jesus is not mad. He's not angry. Instead, even with this, Jesus is not cutting down uh, this fig tree as a curse or condemning it to death. He's simply doing what would have already happened in time. He's simply doing what would have already happened in time. Because the tree wasn't going to produce figs anymore. Its season of growth was over. And Jesus knew it. So Jesus is simply speeding up the process so new growth can occur more quickly. Jesus is speeding up the process of this fig tree going away and dying so that a new fig tree would hopefully be raised up and grown in its place. It's interesting because, again, this passage can be confusing because we look at this and we're like, oh, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable with what Jesus is doing. Is he just like, you know, he's just like casting a spell or just condemning this? Or he's not being flippant, he knows exactly what he's doing. And with it, he also is is conveying a a deeply important point. God has a plan for the healthy development of our spiritual lives too. He's conveying a point. Not just of the nation of Israel that they were to to bear fruit. Not just that they were, uh, it was just the illustration or symbolism of the fig tree. But as the people of God today, we're to bear fruit. And God's plan for you, if you are in Christ, is that you would have a healthy development of your spiritual life. 
that you would be a person of flourishing. That you within yourself would be someone who is flourishing spiritually, relationally, emotionally. And that through you, you would be a person who would help other people flourish spiritually, relationally, and emotionally. God is concerned about our lives, not just our spiritual lives. We aren't just, we aren't just souls encapsulated in a body that, that he's just, just caring for our soul until we go to heaven. He cares about what's happening on earth, and he cares about you. He cares about you. The Word of God tells us about this spiritual growth that he anticipates in a few different passages. In Psalm 92, 12 and 14, it's all going to be on the screen. It says, but the God that will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transported to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God, even in old age. Some of you need to hear this. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. In other words, there is no aging out of the kingdom of God. Somebody listen to me, please. There's no, well, I've been here, done that, I've grown, I've sat through the message, I've heard this message preached, I've been in the groups, and I've served in church. There's no time out for you. Your time out of serving and being faithful into the church and being to a loving God is when you expire physically and you ascend to heaven eternally. But until then, no matter what age you are, you're to bear fruit. Verse 15, they will declare the Lord is just, he is my rock, there is no evil in him. A reference in the New Testament, Colossians 1.10, then the way you live will, all, will always honor and please God and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. The word of God and the spirit of God tells us how it is that we're to grow. The Bible is not a self-help book, and you are not a self-help project. If you use the Bible as a self-help book or yourself as a self-help project, you will be sorely disappointed because the consequences of your limited ability and energy is not going to bring about the result that you think. Instead, it's only God's Spirit within us, only God's Spirit within us, that can produce the godly character that He desires. It's only God's spirit within us that can produce that godly character that he desires. We do things, we have spiritual disciplines, we, we do things to connect ourselves to God, absolutely. We come to church to connect with God, we read the Bible to connect with God, we pray to connect with God and other things, and there's other things that we do, but it's the spirit of God that cultivates this in us. God is not cruel. God would be very cruel if he had, if he had said that this, that this writing is, is active and it's inspired by him, but yet just not good enough to help change your life. God is not condescending. He's a loving God. There's no condescension in him. There's no condescension in his message. There's no condescension in his love. There's no condescension in his acceptance of you. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, but the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, when I read that, and I've read that hundreds of times probably, 
by the time I get to self-control, I'm kind of worn out by the time I get to self-control. I'm like out of air. And it's kind of like, it's always a reminder for me. And I'm like, and self-control. Like, okay, that one too. Like as if all the rest of them didn't get me, that one does. What's interesting, a lot of scholars believe that, that love is actually the main fruit and that everything else is birthed off of love. Because without love, none of the other things exist. I just had an illustration of without the breba, without the love, there would be no fruit that comes later. Jim Cimbala, in a book I would refer to you if you're interested in prayer and, and believing prayer and breakthrough prayer, he said this, fruitfulness, in fact, is the only evidence that someone is a genuine Christian. Fruitfulness. Jesus also said the same thing in Matthew 12, 33. He says, a tree is recognized by their fruit. But new faith cannot exist with old doubts. I invite you to go to your Bible backward, same book of the Bible as what the main passage was. In Matthew 9, 9, not 19, almost said 19. Didn't quite commit to it. Matthew 9, verse 14. And it says this. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. This is maybe going to help us to understand maybe the reason why we don't have a breakthrough faith or maybe the reason why we don't have a breakthrough prayer is because we're trying to put new wine in old wineskins. Maybe we're trying to put new faith and new ideas, but yet we're trying to put it in, in a container of old doubt. And maybe the reason why we're not able to necessarily be where it is that God wants us to be because we're stuck in some old traditions and yet we can't see a true authentic relationship with Jesus outside of those traditions. And some of those traditions are okay and yet some of those traditions actually get in the way of a relationship with Jesus. In verse 14, this conversation is being had. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus uses this illustration. He says, How can the, the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they will fast. True or false? Under normal circumstances, I know what I'm getting ready to say, and it's kind of funny. Under normal circumstances, when somebody gets married, is that a happy thing or a sad thing? Happy thing, happy thing, happy thing. Yeah, that's I was hoping I was hoping a little bit more involvement there. Happy thing, right? 
There are instances, there are exceptions where you're like, I really wish they wouldn't, but they're going to anyway. I understand, I understand. What Jesus is saying here is John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were tripped up with some rules that the Pharisees had brought in because the nation of Israel was only required to fast one time of year. And now, because of the teaching of the Pharisees that had been now in that, in that realm for a couple hundred years, the Pharisees were imposing this, this belief that now they needed to continue to fast over and over and over again. And, it was, and Jesus says, he used the illustration of a bridegroom of a wedding. He's like, are weddings happy? The answer is, yes, thank you. That was better. He's like, this is a happy time. This is not a time of mourning. Because fasting would, would symbolize a time of mourning. And think about it just practically. If you're to go to a wedding, what's the best thing at a wedding? What is? Food, specifically cake. Let's be honest, right? Cake's awesome. That would be like the worst place to fast, would it not? Like everybody's, oh, would you like a piece of cake? No, I'm fasting. Yeah, I do. I want it all. I want it all. You know? And like you're watching the the bride and groom and they're smearing the cake in their face. Like, oh, you're so cute. And they're doing all the whole thing. We did the same thing. And, you know, one of them gets a little bit gutsy and just like puts it up there and tries to smear it a little bit. And then the second one gets a last laugh because it's all over the place, you know. And imagine you're watching that and everybody's eating cake and they're eating all this food and you're sitting there drinking water like, no, I'm fasting. But I'm not really sure why I'm fasting, but I'm fasting Jesus is saying, this is not a time of mourning. This is a time of celebration. Jesus is saying, there's going to be a time of mourning that comes where my disciples, they're going to mourn after I die. But he says, but I'm not dead yet. I'm alive. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of connection. And he continues after using this illustration. Some of you who know how to sew, you know this to be true. Verse 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. I myself am not someone who's sewed anything. I've been the reason why people have had to sew things, but I'm not somebody who's sewn anything, but I I believe this is still true. And yet, Jesus goes even a step further. And this is not a commercial for Welch's grape juice, by the way. This is wine, real wine. Verse 17, neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins if both are preserved. Because in the process of making wine, it would have to ferment. And part of the fermenting process... They would have to put that new wine that is still in the fermentation process into new wineskins because it would expand. And new wineskins would give it space to expand. Old wineskins is like old leather, if you will. It just dries up, and if you don't care for it, and it just dries up, and it loses its pliability. It loses its flexibility. So if you were to pour new wine that is yet to ferment, that is going to expand into an old wineskin, what would happen? It would break, and everything would be lost. So Jesus is using these illustrations that they would just fully know. 
And he's conveying a, a, some deep points. And I think one of, the, one of the points that he's conveying to you and I is this. Put down the old doubt and pick up new faith. Put down your old doubts about God. I know you prayed about that person. I know you prayed about that situation. It didn't come in your time. It's coming in God's time. Don't stop believing. Put down that old doubt. I know you wanted that to happen. I know you wanted that, you wanted that job. I know you wanted that breakthrough. And you wanted it and your heart was right. God just, he's still moving. He's still working towards that end. When you pray things in accordance with his will, not only you don't change God's will, instead we are changed to form our desires to God's will. And then in the process, God sometimes answers our prayer in our timetable, in our way, but God always answers prayer. But sometimes what we do is we actually stop praying and we stop believing because we allow those old doubts. And those old doubts cannot hold new faith. Something else is true. Old assumptions about God cannot hold the faith required for the next chapter in your life. Church, come on. Some of, some of us in the house today, we have old assumptions about God. We think that we only meet God while we're in the church house. We don't think we can meet God outside of here. We think that, that God only speaks to certain people in certain instances, and we'd allow those old assumptions of God actually to stifle what God wants to do in our lives. Maybe some of these old assumptions like, you know what, I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to serve in kids' ministry. I'm too old to give. I'm too old to go on that missions trip. I'm too old to serve in to do that particular thing. I'm too old. My time is up. Your time is not up. Your time is not up. You may have an old wineskin of unbelief, but you need to ask Jesus to give you a new wineskin to hold that new belief. But you can't hold on to those old assumptions of God that are really, really small and that lead you to pray really, really small, uncomfortable prayers and expect God to do extraordinary things. You can't hold on to those old assumptions. That I've got to be connected with this particular this particular faith group, and this is the only way that God speaks. That's not true. You have to put, put away the old assumption that God only speaks through this really holy person, and then sometimes that really holy person disseminates God's voice to me. That's just not true. God wants to speak to you. He desires the best for you. He's not wanting you to live your spiritual life vicariously through me. What I've found through my study of the scriptures is this. God's people have found the most precious fruit to hold on to while struggling through life is faith. Faith. Sometimes when everything else is stripped away, sometimes that's all we have. We go through a struggle. We go through a struggle in our marriage or we lose a loved one and maybe we, we're in, a, in the middle of a, a financial upheaval and we're like, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. I don't see what you're doing right now, but I believe that you're good and I believe your plan for me is good. Sometimes that's the only fruit that we can hold on to. 
Sometimes all we, can, all we can see and believe is saying, God, I see the leaf, I see the leaf, and I see a little bit of a bud of Brabah, and I just believe, God, that you're going to do some deliverance, that you're still going to use me, that I'm worth using. I believe it, God. I know you have a hope for me. You have a future for me. You love me. You care for me. You've accepted me. You, uh, you have the Spirit of God within me. I am no longer a slave, but now I'm a son and daughter of Almighty God, and I am in the family, God, and sometimes that's all we have. And sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes that's, that's the answer you need. Jim Cimbala, again, in the book Breakthrough Prayer, he said this, what we really believe is always revealed in the way we talk to God in prayer. What we really believe is always revealed in the way that we talk to God in prayer. What kind of prayers do you offer up to God? Are they big and bold? Faith-filled? Like mountain-moving prayers? Are they very small, controlled, contrived prayers? One of the greatest revivals that ever happened in our country happened in 1857, and it happened in New York City. It was known as the Businessmen's Prayer Revival. At that time, it's estimated that the population had 30 million people in the country, and through this revival, one million people are recorded to have been saved. Consider how significant that is within the population. And it started with one faithful man who was burdened about what was going on in the world at the time. As a matter of fact, through this, March 20th of 1858, the New York Times said this about this great prayer revival that was happening in Cleveland, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, again, New York, Washington, D.C. It was just sparking all over the place. The New York Times said this, The great wave of religious excitement is, which is sweeping over this nation is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate in cars, in steamboats, in banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded, bank directors, rooms become oratory, schoolhouses are turned into chapels, converts are numbered by the scores of thousands in this city which have beheld a site which is the most enthusiastic, fanatic for church observances could ever have been hoped for or looked upon. We have seen in the business quarter of the city, in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for simple and solemn prayer and worship. And that began because... A missionary at that time by the name of Joseph Lamphere. He was seeing what was going on in the world at the time. This was right after there was a law passed. And this law would be one of the things that would set off the Civil War. But a law was passed at that time that said that, that African Americans nor their descendants could vote. Federal law. So when this federal law was, was put out, of course, there's so much turmoil north and south. 
Joseph Lamphere, a missionary at that time, he was moved. But he was moved in such a way to create such a small, seemingly small thing, but God did an amazing thing in it. Joseph Lamphere, he set up this time in the North Dutch Church on Fulton Street in New York. And he was burdened for his city, but he knew that the answer to the problems in his city and around the world could only be cured or helped by deliberate prayer. So he started this prayer meeting that was supposed to be an hour long. It was, it was one day a week, one hour long. He sent out flyers. He told a bunch of people. And finally, it was the day where Lamphere's big day. It's like, who's going to come and who's going to pray? In this small room up in this church, he'd set directions and he just waited. Supposed to start at 12 o'clock. No one showed up. 12.05, no one showed up. 12.10, no one showed up. 12.20, no one showed up. The first person came at 12.30. Within the hour on that first day, and it was strict, one hour of devoted prayer. On that first day, six people came. Six. Only six. But after the faithful six, a million people, estimated, around the country, gave their life to Jesus. Those were difficult days in our country. Those were days of tension. Those were days of murmurings of wars, and there was rumors of wars. Those were days where people were divided on morality. Those were days where, where the, the people who were in faith were even divided of like, which side could we be on? And Joseph Lamphere did, just a very simple man, did what every Christian can do. He prayed. And God brought about one of the most powerful and remarkable revivals in our country because one man decided to pray. Most revivals and powerful moves of God start in a very simple way. They start in a small prayer meeting with just a few faithful people. Just a few faithful people. I wonder if we have a few faithful people in the house today. I wonder if there are some people who are listening at home, and I wonder if they, they are the few faithful people. I wonder if we have a few faithful people who are, who are, are committed to, to the new wineskin and to the new faith and the new prayer and the new belief, putting away old doubts putting away gossip, putting away slander, putting away every evil practice, putting away that bitterness. I wonder if there's anybody in the house today will put away those old things and maybe put away some old assumptions of God and yet maybe on today, on this day, on the Lord's day, that he would do a work in you where you will stop praying such small prayers and that you will ask in his name, in his will, for big, bold prayers and ask God to move. You know, it's remarkable to me that Joseph Lamphere, at 12 o'clock, no one showed up. No one showed up. 
12.10, no one showed up. 12.15, 12.20, no one showed up. Imagine this, at 12.20, if he would have just stopped and he would have said, you know what? Lord, apparently I heard the message wrong. We actually weren't, I was just supposed to pray by myself. I'm not, we're not even supposed to be here. What if he would have just shut the lights out, took the signs down, and just walked away like nothing happened? What if he would have walked away at 1225 and he would have missed the blessing that would start at 1230 when that first person showed up? What would happen in, in your life right now if you receive this as your 12:30 moment, and maybe you're tempted to have a 12:25 moment to say, you know what? I'm tempted to leave. I'm t- tempted to give up on God. I'm tempted to give up on church. I'm tempted to give up on on everything that has to do with any sort of spiritual walk with God because I just simply don't understand, or I just don't like how my life's gone. Maybe for you, you just need to keep pushing into the Spirit of God because 12:30's coming. Would you stand? Twelve thirty. Everybody say that. It's twelve thirty. Tell the person next to you they don't believe it yet. Tell the other person you ignored. It's twelve thirty. This is the time. This is the time not to shrink away and give up. This is the time. To press in. This is the time to believe. This is the time to ask, to ask God in prayer. I'm going to give you a chance to respond today. And I want you to respond if, if God is leading you to respond. I'm not trying to manipulate you. If, you. if you don't sense God moving, then don't move. But if God's moving in your heart right now, I, I just I want to kind of lead you in this way. I want you to consider these two questions. What are you praising God for? And what are you believing God for? What are you praising God for? Say, God, I'm so glad you brought me through this season. God, I'm so glad that I didn't get what I wanted because what you gave me was so much better. God, I'm glad I waited and I didn't just... I didn't just throw myself into that situation. I didn't throw myself into that relationship. God, I waited. I waited. I waited. I waited. All I had was faith, but God, I waited. And you helped me persevere. And now I live a life of of fruitfulness and faithfulness. And God, praise you for that. But what do you believe in God for? What is it in your life that needs to change? And maybe you're just struggling and it's 1025 in your mind and you need to flip the dial to to 1230 to say, now's the time of belief. So your chance to respond is in this way. We have post-it notes all up at the front on both sides. And if you feel so inclined, take your post-it note. Take a pen. We have some here. Brian made a joke about pins. They're all around the room. Take a pen, write down, man, this is something, God, I'm praising you for this, or I'm believing you for this. 
and write those things down and just as a way of saying, God, I'm leaving this with you. I'm leaving this at the altar. Take your post-it and just stick it to the, to the white papers you see at the front of the stage. Let's fill the stage today with either praises to God or prayers to God. Can we do that today? I'll pray for us and the band's gonna play. You move as the Lord is leading you to move. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone who is in earshot of this message. God, I thank you for the word of God. I know that it's true. God, help us to have that, the, the new belief. And, and just as Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about the new heart and the new spirit, God, let it be, let it be true of someone today, God. Let them be free from their sins today. Maybe they're not in you, and maybe that's what they're sensing. They feel the weight of their sins, and God, allow them the free gift of salvation today. Grant them the gift of repentance, turning away from their sins and turning towards you. God, also let them have the courage to come forward and to admit that publicly, say, I was not not saved, and God, today I want to be saved. Allow them the courage. Holy Spirit, draw. Holy Spirit, draw that, that Christian man or woman, boy or girl who's in the room to come forward and say, God, I praise you for what you're doing in my life. God, allow them the courage also to believe a big, bold prayer. Maybe it's a prayer they gave up on a long time ago. God, allow them to know it's 1230. The time of blessing is now. The time of new faith is now. The time of hope is now. Holy Spirit, move in the only way that you can and lead us in the way that you want. Amen. Respond as the Lord leads you to respond.